baby girl, hold your head up high. Being as confident as I am, I'm hoping that even if one person is listening to this podcast, they feel more confident. There's one you and the world needs to know what you're about. The world needs to um, know about your, you know, your journey, your talents. Welcome to She Brigade, the podcast. I'm your host, Bilundle Musimere. On this podcast, we bring you amazing trailblazing women to come and share their life and career journeys with you. From entrepreneurs to 95ers, join us as each guest takes you through all of the highs and all the lows of their journeys that have led them to being who they are today. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of She Brigade. Today's guest is entrepreneur Vuyisile Zondi. Vuyisile started her career journey in the property world and then moved on to management consulting. In 2016, she officially launched her skincare range, Corium Natural Skincare, which is centered around simplicity, purity, and credibility. The brand has grown immensely over the years, and just last year, it was named the 2019 Top Newcomer at the Nedbank Small Business Excellence Awards. On this episode, Vuyisile takes us through her journey as she career pivoted and also tells us all about the challenges that she's faced as a skincare entrepreneur in South Africa. So, let's dive in. Vuyi, thank you so much for coming today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That's such a gracious, um, what's it called? Such a gracious um, introduction. Thank you so much. Listen, I have, I've been a fan of yours for a very long time and I know a lot of the She Brigade audience are big fans of yours. So I'm just excited to hear all about you and like your, this the story of how you became this amazing person. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so we like to start from the beginning, right? So just take us all the way back, all the way back, young Vui, growing up, your upbringing, your childhood um, and your schooling. Take us all the way back. So I am from... Sleepy Hollow, that's what it's called. I'm from Peter Marisburg in KZN. So that's where I was born, uh, bred and raised. And that's where I did my schooling up until I was 18. Then I moved up to Johannesburg to attend WITS. So I've been living here since I was 18. I'm 31 now. So I've, I've spent, I think, um, most of my adult life here in Joburg. Um, but obviously still a, quite a strong home connection. Um yeah, I think that that's that's just me in terms of uh, my family background. I am the third born of five children. I'm a middle born. Um, and I come from a very close-knit family. And I think that's one of the things that's really molded me to be quite a strong, um, courageous person. The fact that I'm, I'm, I'm from a very supportive family. Mm, mm. So 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 when you were in high school, um, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? So I didn't know I had so many things. I remember at some point in time, I used to think that I'd write um, a speeches for the president. So I wanted to be the president's ah. speechwriter because I really like writing. And, you know, I was that type of person. So I was a bit, um, a bit not all over the show, but I wasn't very decisive, I think, when I was younger. Um, because a lot of my strengths, I think, lay in areas aligned to humanities. So I used to like reading mm -hmm. and writing a lot. Um and, you know, just poking through things and trying to understand concepts and philosophies. So then my tertiary life was very, very different from that because I then went into the built environment. I went into yeah. it. Um, I worked in it. it. It was not something that I enjoyed. Um, I think because of the transformation in the sector, it wasn't really where I think maybe it should have been. So it was quite a difficult back then as a, you know, a young black um, woman graduate in property or mm. in the built environment. 
I think I'm probably going into next questions that you have because you'd asked about high school, but now we're going into tertiary and work. <laughs> so let me just stop there. Then we'll pick it up again. Yeah. So I actually want to know how did you, why, how and why did you decide to go into the built environment um, industry? So for me, I saw it as a, an industry that had a lot of opportunity, um, either corporate or entrepreneurial because I think property development at that time was a buzzword and still is you Mm. know and it was one of the things that was seen as a um as almost a sector that will always have demand for skills you know because building uh, goes with the economy there's always building even if you look around you and you look at the new complexes or the new estates that have come up in the last two or three years you know there's always building so for me I saw it in that way and I also saw that should I one day want to venture into something entrepreneurial, then I've got the skill set, you know, to 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 go mm. and do it. Even if it's a small block of flats or a small block of rooms or whatever, I would have um, the skill set to pursue it. So that's why I went into the built environment. And I, I do still think I'm going to use that skill set entrepreneurially. It's just it hasn't happened yet, but I, I, I do believe I'm going to, you know, do something with it. Yeah. And so you you went into management consulting after varsity, is that correct? No, so I went and I worked in property for a while. So I did work, I worked for a listed property firm. And then during that time, I went back to school. That's when I went back to Vitz Business School. And then um, I did my PDM. It was a PDM then. I think now it's a PDBA. So I did yes. it. Um, and whilst I was doing it then, I got this whole generalist cover of skills. And I decided, you know what, I'd actually like to pivot my career elsewhere. So then I pivoted my career towards management consulting. Um, and that's what I, you know, I started applying and going for interviews and then I did it. Um, the, particular fir- the particular firm I went to um, did strategy and business improvement consulting primarily for SOEs. And I think most management consulting firms anyway work um, with SOEs and government entities. So it was so exciting because it was so different. Um, when you've been in corporate and then now you're working with state clients, you see that the efficiencies between a private or a listed firm and government are so different. You see that the mm. attitude is so different. The culture is so different. Um, and it just, I think it grows you as the person more even than being a professional. I think my exposure to working with government really just it made me very strong at a very young age, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, what 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 kind of um skills would you say that you got from like your your built environment, sorry, built environment um experience, your management consulting experience that you're kind of using today? So I think I, I was very lucky to to be able to get both generalist and specialist skills. So when I was in, in property, it was in in terms of you know project management skills and understanding how to. Um, work in a pressure-filled and a performance environment, right? Because when you work for a listed firm, they have to declare dividends to their shareholders. There's there's certain performance metrics that are there. So it teaches you um, about building a performance culture, which I think is something I've taken into Aquarium. And then with management consulting, it, it really gave me confidence in terms of being able to stand in front of the client, to be able to speak, to be able to present, um, to be able to present a solution and to justify that solution, it really made me strong. Um, and I think it, it's one of the things I'm very confident as an entrepreneur. And I think it's something that I wouldn't say has set me apart, but I almost want to say it's something that set me apart quite early with Corium. The fact that I believe so much in it, I believe in the solutions that um, Corium has to offer. And I'm confident because I think once the entrepreneur seems shaky, then the business and the solution behind the entrepreneur is going to need so much more convincing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. 
Definitely. That, that actually makes so much sense. Um, so, so now you've been working as, as a management consultant for some time. And then take us through the journey of when the idea to start a natural skincare brand came to you. Um, so for me, it literally, it was a hobby. It was a hobby transitioned into a commercial business. That's really it. Um, and then I, I put it onto social media and then people wanted it. And then I had to get a social media manager because, you know, I'm a consultant and you bill per hour. So you can't be working, pardon me, you can't be working on private ventures during the client's billable time. So then sort of this thing was starting to take shape. You know, it was starting to become a commercial business with or without intent. And then I started to be intentional about it. And then we got into a physical store. And then I think we got onto Faithful to Nature and a few other things. Um, and then I could see that this has potential. And I think by the end of 2018, I, I could not do both management consulting, which is not an eight-hour job itself, and to run Corium. So then I left consulting for Corium um, at the beginning of 2019 when I turned 30. I almost had said the year is a year of, um, what's it called, it was my sabbatical. But it, it wasn't really a sabbatical. It was time to to take Corium to the next level. Um, and, yeah, that's that's really how the transition happened. But that must have been so scary, right? Because even though Corium had by then been running for about two years, I believe, two, two yeah, years or so. Like a, yeah, going for two years, yes. Yeah, like the to to take that leap of faith and say, okay, I'm going all in now. Um, I don't have this management consulting thing anymore, of or basically just your day job that consumes a certain amount of your time, um, provides an income, a stable income, etc. Like that must have been so scary. How did you really like know that it was the right time to go into it, and how did you just make that jump? I think it, it's it's the time the, the the commitment it was requiring for me and the type of deals and the types of contracts and listings that Karim was starting to come into I, I was not going to be able to do both, so I think I knew that that is a decision that's coming. It's a decision that is imminent. Um, so when the time felt right, um, I did it. And also, I think maybe turning the big thirty was also just a, a boost of of bravery and courage from my end. Um, to say, you know what, let, let me just put everything into this because people buy into it. Karim's always done well. Um, it did well even when I, I treated it like a hobby. So I just thought, let me put all uh, all my eggs or almost all my eggs in one basket and let's really um, try and pivot this thing. And I think at that time, there were starting to be more entries into the market doing very similar things to Karim. So I knew that the legwork we had done in the past two years, it needed to be elevated Otherwise, um, with the increase in competition, then it, it just it, it, we weren't going to to be able to still maintain that competitive advantage or that competitive edge anymore. Yeah, mm. yeah, because it, like you're right. Because when you started, there there really weren't a lot of skincare brands mm. or local skincare brands that were doing what you were doing, especially with regards to like I know you 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 you're very passionate about your natural the ingredients that you use in your products and the manufacturing process. So. You're absolutely right in that it, there were not a lot of competitors and they were starting to come up yes. a lot more mm. later on in the journey. So I kind of want to say, do you feel like you kind of like just you had to make the you had to make the jump? It was like, listen, it's <laughs> I need to dive in now. I think so. You know what? It had to happen. Um, it had to happen. It was coming. It was imminent. And I think um, even with the entries um, into into the markets and the close competition of other young black women owned brands doing very similar things, I think. I just needed to, to, to build the business. There were certain holes I was seeing and 
it's almost like your child. There's certain things you need to fix and you need to fix them for yourself. Um, so I think that's that's what happened. And I needed to fix these um, so that Karim could be strong. Otherwise, it would still be, you know, uh, not as strong as it were. Um, so even besides the competition, I just think I needed to build a very solid business model because mm. I think now I could go back into, say, consulting on a project basis because I'm so um, confident and I'm so unshaken in how strong I believe Corium's business model is and how strong I believe Corium's um, appeal is to the consumer. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to someone who's on the verge of making that decision right now? Like if there's anybody listening in today, what kind, what advice would you give them? Um, so for me, I think you just need to build a solid business and you need to build your business, yes, from passion, but you need to build your business from the perspective of the consumer, right? Um, because the customer needs to see so much appeal in your product or your offering that they buy it over other similar brands or other similar um, offerings. So I, I believe that um, you just need to, to think about it. So yes, you've got the passion. Yes, you've got, you know, but who is your audience? Who is your consumer? Who is, you know, going to buy it? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck so much in the passion part of the business that the other parts of the business model don't come together. So if I could give someone advices that also see your business, your offering or um, your service from the consumer side, because we, we say that entrepreneurship is, is based on the premise of solving a problem for your consumer. And I think that's one thing that we've lost along the way um, with all the passion talk and the go for it and the whatever. It, it, it still needs to be um, based on the consumer and the consumer need and solving a problem for the consumer that the consumer may or may not have known that they have. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What, what challenges or what are the biggest challenges that you, you, you faced through this journey of starting your own brand, of running your own brand? So for me, I mean, I come from a science background. I come from a built environment background. I come from a strategy background. I have no medicinal background. I have no science background. I have no, you know, um, dermatology background. I have no formulation background. Um, so for me, it was almost truly a passion business. And, it, it, and then I had to get the skill set. So I think... For me, the first and the most important skill I had to develop as an entrepreneur is the skill to source talent and to coordinate because I had to get in very strong people to fill in because there were big gaps that I don't have. The science knowledge I don't have, you know, the dermatology mm-hmm. knowledge I don't have. So I had to, to be able to bring together talent. So I think um, for someone who wants to start, work on your, um, work on your people skills work on um, your your skills to bring together things and your skills to motivate people and almost those soft skills because it's not so much about the technical things. Like, um, what's his name? The, the guy from Virgin. Okay, well, the airline's not doing well at the moment, but Richard Branson, he, he doesn't need to know how to be in the cockpit and driving the plane, but he needs to know yes. how to motivate, you know, his technical team. He needs to know how to motivate his pilots. He needs to know, you know, how to bring out the best in them so that they bring in that specialist skill and those specialist skills together then become a very harmonious orchestra. So I think another pitfall of entrepreneurs is that we don't, we don't talk too much about building a team. We speak a lot about um, running yourself down, you know, working a 24-hour day, uh, they sleep, we grind. But I really think mm. that the differentiator of a good entrepreneur is the ability to start to trust other people with your dream and to bring out the best 
in them. Because I, if I can bring out the best in my team, they're going to naturally want to do what's best for Corium. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think that human resource part of entrepreneurship, we've lost it along the way. And we need to just sort of bring it back in to say that if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you need to be able to harness talent. You need to be able to have good people skills. You need to be aspirational and motivational, actually, I would say, um, as well. Yeah, I was actually that was going to be my next question about how how you find it to lead a team. But I think that's that's so beautiful. You need to know you need to be aspirational and motivation, like you mentioned. It is quite important qualities of a leader because now you're not just running a business; you're actually a leader as well. Exactly, and it's people's livelihoods, right? Um, people's livelihoods. It is. It's people's livelihoods. So I I think it's 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 important to 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 have that sort of emotional. I don't know what it is that um that quality, you know. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to be able to, to almost, I don't want to say inspire, but to inspire your team, um, to be able to lead and direct your team and to, to, to get the best from them. Because I think that's how it works. I have a very small team, but I know that my team gives their, their A game, you know, yeah. and I know that I have a very close, um, and confidential relationship with all of them, you know, and those are some of the things that have made them go the extra mile for Korea. And um, I think that's it. You just need to, I almost want to to go back to Isul. You you need to have the skill. Because if you can do that, then you can start to now build a scalable business. Um, And I think team is important. The solopreneur is is, is burnt out. Um, The solopreneur is, is, you know, has blind spots. So I could be brilliant as an entrepreneur, but I still have blind spots, you know. Um, so I'm very, I'm not anti-solopreneur because it can also sound uh, quite privileged, you know, for the fact that I started Quarium while I had a corporate job, I was able to build a team. So then when I came, I was naturally leading a team I had been building. Mm. So I do, I do acknowledge that, that not everyone is going to have the same base, but I almost want to say that build a team as early as possible. Yeah. I mean, even just for me as someone who's in corporate currently, I see the difference with like having had different um, leaders or team leads or bosses. Uh, I've seen the difference with the ones that have that emotional relationship with me versus those who are just here to get the job done. Exactly. There's definitely a difference in my personal behavior as well, intentional or not. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously you go to work and you want to give your best every day, but there's definitely a difference in the person that's um, depending on who's leading you and how they lead you. Definitely, definitely. I agree with you. So tell us, tell us a bit about what have been like some of your biggest personal highlights of your journey, as well as some of the lowlights though. So lowlights are the fact that, I mean, you're walking a journey you've never walked through. Um, Sometimes you just need to be honest with yourself. There's some things that aren't going to be feasible that you would have liked. There's some things that you're going to push out because the business's readiness is not there. So those are some of the lowlights, I think, um, being able to, I'll almost say being able to assimilate disappointment into the business, I think. Um, in terms of the highlights, I think Quarium has done very well. I think um, we've done very well as a startup. We're still in the startup um, phase of the business. We've done so well as a startup that it even has brought the sort of strong accolades that we have. And I think the accolades, they are highlights. Mm. And I'm very proud of them, but I'm actually just proud of, you know, Karim, because sometimes people will be, be speaking about Karim and they're not aware who I am or what role ah. I play in Karim. And you just, people are, are very, have very positive connotations to 
the the brand story they have positive connotations to the brand itself right down through to the products it's really really strong and i think it moves me all the time the sort of advocacy that's there because i could say oh maybe below saying those things to make me feel good inside or you know but corium is really really that strong in terms of, of from an advocacy perspective that people just generally feel quite positive about it and I think for me, it's like, wow, this is something I started in my kitchen. People feel this good about it. Um, so for me, that's definitely one of the things that is an intangible um, highlight for Quarium. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It, it, I always say, because with all the guests that come into the show, um, when I ask about the highlights, you know, once in a while, maybe it, it, it's about the accolades, but really this, it's always something deeper than just the accolades. <laughs> So I always love to see that. I'd love to see that. Um, what's what, what, what's the worst career advice that you've actually ever received? The worst. I think the worst advice, career, entrepreneurship, it's it's almost the Begazella type of advice. Yeah. Um, you know what? Sometimes something is not working and it hurts because it's your product or it's your mm. whatever, um, your, your, your deal, if it's a deal. And it hurts because you've got emotional um, attachment to it. But sometimes something is not working. So for me, I think because of the management consulting and the role we used to play coming into the client, we always had to just make decisions on logic. You know, you had to look at the numbers, you had to look at the projections, if it's projections, look at the model, if it's a model and be able to say, this is the business decision. And so that's one of my things that sometimes, sometimes business decisions need an absence of emotion. Sometimes business decisions just need to be black and white decisions that have no granularity that are, are business and logical decisions. And I think um, that's also one of the things we don't speak a lot about as entrepreneurs, because it's like, follow your dream, follow your passion, follow your, if you've quit your job, you are now in debt, you are losing assets, you, you know, you, you, you're not in a good credit space. The likelihood of you being able to assimilate yourself back into corporate South Africa is possibly not going to be, you know, go, going to be feasible. Mm. So you would say to someone where someone would be like, keep going, you know, the dream, you know, sometimes park the dream and do something else, you know. And that's what we don't speak about. The fact that there are times when maybe you quit and it's not a quitting forever. It's a quit for now and try again later. Yeah, and I think that's pause. what I'm saying. Those are the sorts of things that we don't speak about as entrepreneurs, how to deal with failure. Because we, we treat entrepreneurship as this high, you know, motivational thing. You're always thriving every day. They sleep, you grind. It's high energy. It's high mojo. Mm -hmm. It's high. It's not, you know, or it, it, it is not always that way. And so I think we just need to, to be more honest in terms of um, that a business can fail, an idea can fail, a range can fail, maybe a product can fail and you can delist a product or a listing can fail. Um, and to be able to say, then what are the next steps that you take as an entrepreneur? You know, because that product that failed or that line that failed or the deal that fell through, it could have been the one that all your heart was invested in, but it just mm. maybe was not the right time. It was not the right mix of resources or for whatever reason, it just wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And so that's mm -hmm. why I think um, it's important to, to, to almost start to teach that entrepreneurship is not all about passion. It's not all about the soft stuff. It's not all about the motivational jargon. 
it's also about real things, real decisions. You have a credit record, you know, you need to look after it. You have staff, are you able to pay them? You have, you know, obligations, things like that. We need, we need to start now speaking about um, almost the unsexy parts of, of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. With with you know the the this world of social media, I I call like my Instagram for example. I call it my highlight reel because that really that's really all it is. It is yeah. Um, we often just see the highlights. It's like a photo album. You know, back in the day when our parents had a photo album, they just keep in the 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 great moments that picture of that great moment. So can you maybe take us through some of the failures or mistakes that you've made along your journey and how you've overcome them? Sure, we've made mistakes. I mean, there's products we started with that um, um, are not there. There's products we've named wrong. Um, there's deals that have um, had to, you know, not materialized or be moved out or to say, am I ready for this? Um, so there's a lot. I mean, that's happened. Um, you, you know, sometimes you have to rebrand because you're like, is this a, sh- a shelvable product? Is this attractive? What is, you know? So there, there are lots of small failures or learnings, you know? Um, sometimes the formulation of a product, you have to say that this was a good product then. This is not a product that's going to stand with competitors, you know? So it's about that journey of continuous improvement. And sometimes it's financial. You make financial mistakes. The biggest financial mistake I made, I used to have so much stock on the warehouse floor, right? So much stock. Mm-hmm. Um, and our working capital was strained. It was very, very strained um, to a point I had to go get an overdraft for the business. But I was holding, I knew that I was holding stock that was worth far greater than the overdraft. Mm. But why was I holding that stock? Why do I need a warehouse that's full of boxes? I don't. That is an ego decision, you know? I don't. I need to keep and make stock as, as the business sells in terms of what are the projections, what are the cycles, when is high cycle, when is low cycle. And so th- that's some of the things that you learn that um, a lot of what, what makes you fail or a lot of the failings in entrepreneurship, I think, is when you make ego decisions, you know, um, when you do things that look to, to look greater or to look further mm-hmm. along in the journey than when you are, that's when the business fails. And uh, for me, I think then I built almost a principle for myself that you never make an ego decision on business resources. Um, And it's helped me a lot because now I don't have to have a a whole warehouse full of stock every day or whatever. Why why is that? If I know that the projection for, say, a certain mask is X thousand um, units per 3,000, I mean, per three-month cycle, why am I holding so much stock? Because that's money, you know? These are mm-hmm. natural products. Um, the shelf life is, is, is determined, you know? So those are some of the, the mistakes I made um, when I started, especially when I started being full-time. You know, because it's nice and then someone will come into your warehouse and they look at all the stock and there's boxes and everything oh. looks, you know? Mm. But, I mean, it's your money that's on the floor, <laughs> you know? It's your <laughs> money that's on the shelf. So I think the biggest learning for me was around working capital management um, and that whole thing of cash is king, you know, um, a, a lot of the pitfalls are, are from working capital management. You find that even with lockdown, very established businesses faltered in three months versus maybe having a 360 month um, running cycle. And it's because the cash 
to keep paying the salaries, to keep paying the operating costs, to keep whatever. In those three months, there was no cash in the business. And so cash is, is a, a, a cash flow failure is the biggest failure of business. And no one speaks about it, the importance of being able to manage your cash as an entrepreneur. You know, the 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 the, the importance of managing your lifestyle as an entrepreneur, of, 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 of almost being stingy, you know? Um, mm. and, and I think for me, that was the biggest learning. I'm very... I'm very stingy, but soft on myself. Like when I set <laughs> targets and I exceed them, I know, okay, you know, a particular reward is in store for me, but I've become much, much better at managing cash of the business. Mm. I, I feel like everyone should write down what you just said now. Never make an ego decision on business resources. Like, <laughs> like remember that, guys. Remember like, that cash is king. Like, yo. Yeah, yeah. How how was how did you experience lockdown as a small business owner? Um so for us, we we lockdown came in March. So March was not end of March. March and April were not good. Uh April May we started to have a big uptick because winter is is our peak season because in winter people want oils, they want thick butters, they're feeling a bit more on skin, they still get drier. Yeah. So winter, we did very, very well. We, we actually have had a very strong performance. So I've always said that the performance since lockdown has been very strong and it might be inflated because as well, it was a peak period as well. People were at home and when people are at home and they're working remotely, they're more likely to go into a Zando or take a lot or whatever and to be buying. While you're sitting there in your Zoom meeting, you're busy you know, shopping online. And for some reason, when you shop online and you're not really engaged in it, it doesn't sink in that you're spending money because you're not physically swiping for it. So I also think the working from home culture has helped a lot um, in terms of just the sales, but it's now that we'll actually see what the material um, effects of COVID have been on Corium and the business model, because now as people get laid, um, you know, laid back from work, as people take salary cuts, as people no longer have bonuses, then we see how does the consumer start to shuffle their basket, you know? Do they now mm-hmm. still want 180 rand body butter? You know, it might seem that they feel mm-hmm. that there's a substitute goji that is nominally cheaper that they can get. So I think the next um, three to six months, I will be able to assess um but in terms of just till current it's been a very good and optim op, uh, uh, it's been a very good picture see now the english is running away yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah that, well I'm, I'm actually very <clears throat> sorry i'm very happy for you as a as a as a business as a small business owner for for how you've Thank come you so, so much far, how far you've come. yeah um Thank here's you. a question that i have for you what is what would you say has been the biggest sacrifice that you've had to make for your career? I think I left my career where it could have just pivoted up, right? So I was 29, I had done well, I had worked on good projects um, as a management consultant and management consulting in itself is quite a high, um, you know, um, it has quite a high trajectory. You know, even if you go back into corporate, once you've been in management consulting, you're likely to go into a senior management role um, because of the sort of work that you do when you consult. So I think um, the biggest thing is obviously on the money in terms of what I pay myself. I still pay myself less than what I was earning when I was in corporate in 2018. Um, So that's the biggest thing because I have to think about the business. If I'm going to take this unjustified balloon um, 
you know, salary, what is the business going to grow from? So mm. I think it is that, but I know that in three to five years time, what I will be able to get from Corium, I could have gotten from corporate maybe when I was 40, 42. So it's, it's a, it's a trade-off. Mm. Mm. And it's definitely one that you feel like is definitely worth it. No, for me, it has been. I mean, I can still maintain myself. So I think had I maybe fallen behind and stuff, I'd have a different different, uh, sentiment, you know. But I'm able to still maintain myself, um, to maintain my lifestyle standards. So I think it has helped for me to also be honest with myself in terms of it's not going to be the same as when I was, you know, in corporate um, or in consulting, really, because in consulting, then they pay for everything, travel, phone, uh, there's food. It's just, it's very ballooned. Um, so I've been honest with myself and I can see that when Corium grows, when we get more listings, when we get um, these accolades and recognition, then for me, I feel like the sacrifice is, is, is worth it. Um, and, that's the thing. It, it, you must just believe that it's going to pay off as well. Um, you can't be stuck too much in what you've had to give up mm. because that also, mm. it, it can maybe make you bitter. It can make you uh, yeah. uh, put extreme pressure on the business. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just listening to you speak, you're so, you're so confident and <clears throat> so headstrong in everything that you, well, it sounds like you're very headstrong in everything that you do and the decisions that you make. And like you said, this comes also from your, the background that you have from corporate, but I want to know what, what, what keeps you going? Like on those days when things are not as clear or, or th- you're kind of down, what is it that keeps you going? I think for me, I've got a very strong family, um, a family backbone support um, that keeps me strong. In terms of Corium, I think the advocacy, the excitement, the way people love it, that keeps me going because I just think there's this community that we've built that is so supportive. Let me just push and push and push. So that keeps me going um, for Corium. And I just think, I, 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 like you said, I'm very strong. I feel that I have a very, very strong core. Um, and, and life can knock me a lot and I feel like I'm able to take a lot. So I think a personal attribute that has helped me pivot and pivot quite strongly as an entrepreneur is the fact that I'm very resilient. Um, and I, I just think that helps you because you get knocked down fine. You take the week off, you burnt out, you take the week off and you come back with new eyes or with fresh perspective. So it helps me to really have a strong core, but also to understand um, that I want to build something generational with Corium. I want something that is going to outlive me. I want something that, like a body shop, an Estee Lauder, you know, when it started, I'm sure the founder's story was so profound and the founder was so important, but then those things grew to be multinationals that, you know, are in so many households. And that's my dream for Corium. So if I'm going to get to a point where I'm building a generational or multinational business, I, I need to become... I need to become resilient. I need to know that failure is going to come. I need to know that competitors are going to come. I need to know that spite is going to come and things are going to happen. But then let me just keep on keeping on, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you just need to be focused. Um, Don't be too distracted. Yeah. Uh, So this is the part of the podcast, my favorite part of the podcast, um, where I ask my favorite question now. Okay. Um, so there's, <laughs> you sound like you're like sad eyeing me from the other side. Um, no, so my favorite quote that I live by is be who you needed when you were younger. Mm. That's a quote that I love and live by because I believe that if there's someone that you needed or something you needed to hear when you were younger, there's definitely someone today who needs to hear that. So 
tell me if you could go back, go back in time and talk to younger Vui, whether it was you in corporate, whether it was you in university or high school or even primary school, what would you say to her? Um, so for me, it, it was, I, I think I didn't develop my confidence until say, say I wasn't this confident until maybe the last five or six years of my life. So for me, it's that, it's, it's, it's that confidence um, and um, that almost esteem. I think if I could uh, go back to a younger me, as, as young as I was, I was very brilliant in my academics in high school, but it just, uh, uh, I wasn't confident. You know, you'd be an academic color student, whatever, but it's just, it's something you swallow and it's something, you know, you, it, that is that is a big accolade. Um, so I think confidence is the one thing I'd go back and say, you know what, be more confident. Um, because confidence just inspires more confidence in others, in you. And that's why I say for me, I, I know one of the things that sets me apart is the fact that I'm quite confident. Um, so even if what I'm saying might not be the most profound thing, it, it might not be rocket science, but the fact that I'm able to deliver it and to deliver it with conviction and confidence, it's what helps me, whether I'm in front of an investor, whether I'm in front of a panel, whether it's a podcast and I'm speaking to the laptop, those are all things that help you. And I think it comes back then to something in consulting we used to say is perception management. If you come to a client and you're sloppy and you, you're not too sure of your numbers or whatever, the client is not going to really be confident that the solution you're going to give them is going to be the best one. And so it flows into life and not just entrepreneurship. You need to be sure. In your relationships, you need to be sure. In your family life, you need to be sure. In your business, corporate, entrepreneurship, student life, you need to be sure. You just need to be a confident person so that I think other people feel at ease with you and other mm. people trust you. Um, and I think if I could go back to, to my younger self, I'd just say, be more confident, you know, don't, don't sit and be that girl who sits with their head down and, you know, their body language is all like, you know, it's all like weak and, you know, you're sort of like trying to melt into the corner, be confident, understand that, um, the work that you've done, that your even if it's not accolades, just that your journey is, is one that people want to hear about or people need to hear about. And just be, be confident in whatever it is that you're doing because I think that is an unlocker. It's not really talent. A lot of people are similarly talented, you know, or mm. have similar skill sets. Yeah. But when you put the confident one in front of the one who's not confident, it, 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 you, you tend more to gravitate towards the person who's confident. And confidence is not um, about uh, being perfect. It's not about having an answer all the time. It's just about asserting yourself and owning your viewpoint, um, owning your mistakes if it's mistakes, owning your journey if it's your journey. And that's really, I think, one of the things I wish um, I had someone who was there telling me to be um, my parents are very supportive. Um, they have always been. Um, but I just didn't have someone who says, you know what, baby girl, hold your head up high, you know? And I wish mm. someone had done that. Um, but now, being as confident as I am, I'm hoping that even if one person is listening to this podcast, they feel more confident. Um, just hold your head up high. There's one you, and the world needs to know what you're about. The world needs to um, know about your, you, you know, your journey, your talents, or the emotional support you can offer others, or whatever it is that you do for others, just hold your head up high and, and, and just be proud of who you are, I think. Yeah, I love, I love, love, love that. Absolutely love that. 
So, so what's like next? Speaking, <laughs> actually, uh, I love that you do. Also, I love that you love speaking. <laughs> I do like, speaking. yeah. No, so what? What, what can we expect um, for, from Bui and from Corium? Like, what can we? What's what's coming up? So for me, I, I actually want to open other businesses now. But the one thing I want to do, but I know small business doesn't have the budget. I'd love to use my strategy and consulting um, experience for small business. I'd love to do strategy consulting for small mm. business because I feel that that is a massive blind spot. So I'd love to do that. Um, and for Corium, it's to grow. I mean, we need to grow into Africa. We're busy with our SABS testing now. I think that is going to be a massive milestone for me. Then there's obviously the retail migration to actually get the products on shelf and to be on multiple shelves all over the country. That is, that is something that is coming and will happen for Corium. Um, for me, I, I, I think I want to, to, to work more with other small businesses and I've still been thinking about how am I going to, how am I going to position that? Um, because I know the budget is not there as a small business owner. You can't be paying someone X amount of money per hour for them to tell you about a strategy, but you almost need a strategy so your business can pivot forward. Um, so I'd love to start to get more involved with work that actually helps and um, pivots SMEs. Yeah, that, w- that would be amazing. I actually feel like that would be amazing, especially from someone who has worked with the, such large companies, like you have so much experience and you have you, you own your own small business. So you have all these views that you actually have to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and and how can how can our audience get in touch with you? Follow your journey. Um, yeah, buy your products. Um, t- t- tell us a little bit of that. So, in terms of Corium, it's Corium Skincare on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. I am on a social media break, so I am on Instagram, but it's a private account because I've just been figuring myself out. I am going to have a personal site which should go live in this last quarter or early quarter of next year. And that's just going to be me. And there's going to be a blog part of that. Um, because oh, wow. I do field a lot of mentorship requests and things, and I'm unable to have mentorship relationships just because I don't have the capacity. Um, and I also wouldn't know how to pick who to mentor from, who not to mentor. So that will just be me speaking to myself, I suppose, about some of the strategy and business and the softer elements of business that I'd like to be out there. So um, that should should be... I think a good resource for me to also be able to just connect with people and to know what people would like to read about from me um, and to also put resources like this podcast and other interviews and other um, media features or PR work that I've done and to have it live almost in one home, um, you know, because I I, Mm. I think I'm I'm at that part in terms of where I am as a person and where Corium is that it's something that I need to do or want to do. I, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I feel like I even personally have so much to learn from that and from you. Thank you. Thank you so, so, so much for doing this. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and your story, Bui. No, it's my pleasure. I think it just felt like a conversation. I, I didn't even see we're on 40, 40 minutes because I was worried about being <laughs> a battery at some point and I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to get to 40 minutes? Um, and it's actually been so conversational. So thank you so much for affording me the opportunity. I think firstly, thank you. Um, secondly, thank you for your patience. I know we tried to do this and then sort of, you know, so thank you for your patience and coming back to me. Um, and, and thank you for another platform to reach people about Corium, because I think 
you know, you, you do this and then you sort of dismiss it, but there's someone who's, who may be learning about Quorum from the first time through listening to this podcast when it does come live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I really, I definitely think this will reach so many people and um, your brand will reach so many people, your story as well. And like you said, I definitely can see a lot of people taking away the confidence aspect of it just from listening to you speak about your journey. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to She Brigade. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend you think will enjoy it too. You can also share it on your social media and tag us at She Brigade. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so feel free to email your questions or your suggestions to info at shebrigade.com or DM us on Instagram or Twitter at shebrigade. Until next time, bye.